And Father, we know that the that you are our God and that when we look upon creation, that it is filled with your glory in every way. Father, we know that if we are willing to follow you, that you have provided a plan for us and for our lives. That God, that you are able and just in every way. Sorry. have bad days and uh, things don't go the way we want them to do. Uh, microphones don't work, problems abound, Father. That we know that you are God and that you still love us and that it is not the, it is not what we do, but it is what we believe. It is where our heart is in relation to you. Father, we pray this morning that we would be able to commit our lives to you completely, the good times and the bad, the easy times and the hard times, the rough times as well as the nice times. That, Father, that you are always there for us, that you are always committed to us, that you always want to have relationship with us in every way. Father, we pray this morning that we would be able to follow you um, no matter what your calling is in our lives. As we talk about this issue of hope and faith being restored in our lives, we pray that that would be a reality for us. Father, we just have an opportunity here this morning to come to you and confess any of the sins and mistakes and errors that we have in our lives. Father, it's very easy for us to go through day by day and to sort of accumulate mistakes, accumulate errors, do things that you don't want us to do and sort of miss the point. But Father, we have an opportunity this morning as we come to worship you to get rid of all the baggage and all the problems and all the heartache and all the issues that we have in our lives. Father, we're just going to take a moment right now, go to you, confess our mistakes and allow you to forgive us. Let's do that right now, each of us individually. And Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, and help us as we come this morning to worship you. Lord, as we talk about being restored in our faith, restored in our hope, looking at the life of Abraham, Father, God, help us to be the person that you created us to be. And we thank you that you care enough about us, that there is hope, that there is faith, that there is restoration available and possible through what you did through Jesus Christ. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, good morning again. And uh, we are in our series of Hope Restored um, this morning, uh, working through this two-part mini-series. I have this thing is messing me up this morning, but uh, we'll just leave it as is and get through the message. Um, the, the struggle or the issue that we face as we go through the modern world, as we talked about last week, this issue of human condition that we struggle with, is the fact that as we go through life, that it's very easy for us to be broken. It's very easy for us to experience brokenness in our lives, to experience selfishness in our lives. As we talked about last week, there's no way for us to overcome the human condition. I have it. You have it. Everyone has it. The human condition is that we try really hard to do what we want, to do what is good, to do what is right, but in the end, we fall short many, many times. We don't ever have the life that we desire. As we talked about last week, when we were children, we imagined what life would be like. We imagined how life would be when we grew up, but instead, life was sort of different after we grew up. We imagined what our spouse would be like. 
We imagined what our job would be like, right? When we were a kid, we thought we'd be an astronaut and we thought that our bosses would always love us and approve us. But instead, we work somewhere else uh, less spectacular with a boss who also is less spectacular as well. And so how do we restore faith and how do we restore hope um, in our lives? So our two-week mini-series is How God Restores People, How He Restores People Back to Himself, and how we as people are capable of being restored by God's faith and His hope working in our lives. Well, here's our strategy um, this morning is this. is Last week, um, we looked at um, how faith restores our life. We looked at the fact that as we go through life, it's very easy um, to allow faith to be minimized, for us not to have faith. For us to think that faith is secondary to other issues, we look at our bills, we look at our struggles, and we say, faith cannot fix this. But the reality is, as we talked about last week, and we're going to talk a little bit about this week, faith can fix this, or more specifically, God working in our lives through faith can fix the human condition. If we just allow God to work in our lives, then we will see a change in our lives. A lot of times people come to BVC, um, and they'll say, well, can God change me the next moment? Is this... Change going to be miraculous. Well, God can do that, but for many of us, it's not going to happen that way. And this is the, the sort of the misinformation that's a lot of times given um, on TV when you listen to those guys on TV. Because they act as if you give money to them, that it will miraculously change your life. But the reality is, is that it is a long-term walk with God that is going to radically change your life. Not a short-time thing. It's kind of like going to the gym, right? If you go to the gym... You walk in the gym and you think, hey, if I hit the barbells, if I hit the weight machines, then the next day I'm going to be buff. But it doesn't work like that, right? It's a long-range strategy, and most people don't want to do the long range. They just want something quick and easy to fix their situation. But God says that if we really are uh, willing to follow Him, that we are willing to follow Him long-term and not short-term. So last week we talked about how Christ, His willingness to die, His willingness to be a sacrifice, credited us with righteousness. We talked about Abraham, who believed God, even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of, you know, a situation that it didn't seem like it would be possible, it would be restorable. But even in all of that, that Abraham believed God, and because of that, God extended to him righteousness. In other words, Abraham did not have his life together, so the Bible says that God gave him credit, just like a credit card. God gave him credit so that that righteousness, that made right with God, would allow Abraham to have the life that he always desired. And in his situation was what? If you remember last week, for him to have children. That was the big issue that God was working with um, in his life. All right, so... Today we're going to be talking about this issue of hope, how hope restores. I decided though, instead of hitting a real strong topic on hope, that I would follow the life of Abraham for another week. I thought that talking about Abraham for another week would be really cool and would really introduce you to a very um, great story that's in the Bible if you're not familiar with this story from Genesis. All right, so here's the, uh, this, uh, let me go one more slide. Um, Here's the thing. Let's see what the Bible's answer is. We're going to be looking, man. Sorry. Wow. This thing is possessed this morning. All right. Okay, we're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 22. Let's just look there real quickly and, uh, and see what uh, the Bible has to say for us 
um, as we look at this issue. Genesis chapter 22, and um, we'll be on following from there. All right, oh, uh, let me just mention Romans 4 real quickly, because this is sort of a preface to what we're talking about. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. So we talked about this a little bit last week. But Abraham hoped in God. He had faith in God. And that hope and faith worked together to restore him. Think about it this way. Abraham was like 100 years old when God told him, you're going to have kids, right? He was a dried up prune. For someone who, no offense to anyone who's 100 here. Uh, I guess I should say that. But he was, he was dried up, you know. And uh, I mean, I'm sure when I'm 100, I'll use that word to describe myself. It's okay. He was dried up. He was, he was not in the vigor of life. And yet God said, don't worry about it. Because if you trusted me, you will have children. You're going to have children. And in fact, you're going to have so many children and grandchildren, really grandchildren, that you're going to have a whole nation to yourself. So Abraham believed God put his faith in God, put his hope in God, and it made a radical difference in his life. Now let's look at the passage in Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, um, verses 1 through, I think it's like 14. If you want to turn in your Bibles, you're welcome to do that, um, because we're going to walk down through it and look at a few issues. It'll be up on the big screen as well, but for those of us who have our Bibles, Genesis chapter 22 um, is what we'll be looking at this morning. Genesis chapter 22. Um, All right, here we go. Here's what the Bible says. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. And this is what God said to him. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, the one whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. So the boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So remember, this is like four or five thousand years ago, a long time ago, uh, very early in God's working in our world. But Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? So Isaac begins to realize something is a little bit funny. Then a very powerful passage. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Remember, that's two or three thousand years before Jesus ever came into our world. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld me from me, even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named the place Yahweh Yira, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb on the mountain of the Lord, 
um, God will provide for it. All right, three ideas that we're going to talk about. A really powerful story here with um, Abraham and Isaac, and oftentimes one, by the way, that confuses modern people, because for us the idea of sacrifice seems so far uh, away from the world in which we live that we can't imagine why God would ever test Abraham so much that he would be willing to sacrifice his only son unless we read the entire Bible in its context and understand where God is going with this story. Okay, two, actually there's just two ideas that I want to focus on this morning um, from this passage. If you have your handout in your bulletin, you're welcome to follow along um, with me. First of all is that God calls us to faith. The important thing to remember as we go through life is that God is calling us constantly to know Him. It's just like this. If you go and your job, let's say, let me just pick a job at on average. Your job is to work at Starbucks, okay? So you go and you, you, know, you sign up, you start working at Starbucks, and when it comes time for you to go to work and you don't show up, maybe your boss is going to call you and say, hey, where are you at? What's going on here? Um, hopefully in this economy, maybe they just fire you if you don't show up. I don't know. That, that's a possibility. But um, your boss knows that you're supposed to be at work on time, in place, ready to go, doing this and doing that. And, and your job will call you. Your boss will call you. Things will happen so that you will need to get there. For most of us, we have to sort of get up and, and do it ourselves. But we know what we have to do. In the same way, God calls each of us constantly for our faith. You know, maybe that's not a good one. I tried to avoid a marriage situation because I know sometimes if I don't, you know, do something that my wife wants me to do, she's calling me, do this, do this, and I'll call her, do this, do that, you know. And there's a continual call on our lives to do what we need to do. Sort of a pressure, if you will, to do what is right and do what is good, at least far as community goes. You know, we have this calling, hopefully, that exists in our lives. But if we think about it for a second, and we reflect on the Abraham story, we know that because God loves us so much that He constantly calls into our lives, calling us to do what is right and what is good, calling us to live by faith rather than live by ourselves. For example, when we go through life, we're living for ourselves, we're not living for God. Yeah, sure, we may check on the census form that we're a Christian, but we're not really a believer in Jesus. We're not really a follower of of Christ. And yet God is constantly saying, come to me because I am your God and I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. A lot of people don't want to do that. I mean, I heard feedback from someone who was here at Easter um, who, you know, was a sort of a first time person. And they said, you know, I, I, what I learned at Easter is that God's calling me, but I don't want to answer him, basically was the gist of it. And so, you know, Unfortunately, that's the way some people are going to be. I, it breaks my heart that they are going to reject God and rebel against God. But it doesn't change the fact that God doesn't stop calling you and I. Now, there's a limit to his call of faith. What is the limit? Give me an example of one limit. What would be one limit of his call of faith? What would be one thing that would stop his call? Well, death would do it, right? That would be the most obvious example. Because once we pass from this world, there won't be a call of faith anymore. Everything will be wrapped up and decided in our lives. That would be an obvious one. Can we sin so much that God does not call us into His life? Well, I don't believe the answer to that is yes. I don't believe that we can sin so much that God doesn't call. But what happens is, is that when we reject God for a long time, what ends up happening in our lives? 
the, the voice and the call of God becomes dimmer and dimmer and quieter and quieter as time goes on. Listen, if somebody is 60 years old and has rejected God for 60 years, the calling of God in their lives will be so quiet as to be just a whisper. Which is why most people who are 60 don't, even if they come to church, even if somebody invites them to church, they don't become a believer in Jesus. Because they've done it for so long, they've rejected the call of God for so long that it is almost impossible for them to change. But when you're younger, you have, uh, when you have less experience in life, when you're younger, you are less jaded and the call of God is able to go out. By the way, what did we learn last week about the call of faith in Abraham's life? Abraham also came to God when he was older, but it took many, many years, right? I mean, Abraham sort of uh, continually sort of, you know, did the, did the church thing, right? Abraham did the church thing where God called him to go right and Abraham went one step left, one step right, one step left, one step right, you know, um, act like a hellion on Monday through Saturday, come to church on Sunday. That's what he did. He tried to live both lives. And it took him a long time to heed the call of God and to listen. But when he did start listening, God started responding in his life. So Abraham listened when God spoke to him. When God started speaking to Abraham, he, he started to listen. He was older, took him a longer time. He had re- rejected God longer in his life, but he was starting to listen. He was open to God. Listen, one of the things that we struggle with is the difference between hearing God and listening to God. And I don't want to split this hair a whole lot, but we all know this to be true. Because there are people who come in week in and week out of BBC, and, you know, they, they, they listen to God, which means they sort of, or well, let's say they hear God. They sort of hear in general, you know, the gospel. They, they hear that God wants to know them. They hear that God wants them to have a relationship with them. But they don't listen because they're not trying to attune their lives to God. By the way, the Bible says that that's not sufficient. A person who just simply hears God, hears God's proclamation, and sort of halfway intellectually believes it is not a Christian and is not a follower of Jesus. The Bible says that that person will not be down the narrow way will not have a relationship with God, will not have abundant life, and will not have eternal life. It is imperative that we not just hear what God has to say, but that we listen to Him, we attune ourselves to Him. Ultimately, we obey what He calls us to do, right? And this is that obeyance is a really hard thing. Abraham had struggled with this. If you guys did, if you were in life groups this week, you talked about Abraham. What's the deal with Abraham? Was he a good guy or a bad guy? He was a bad dude for a long time, right? I mean, he, I mean, he, well, I try to keep it PG, but it's, you know, the Bible's a little R-rated here with Abraham's life, you know, because he did stupid things and his wife did stupid things and, and they didn't listen to God. They heard God, they knew of him, but they didn't listen to God in his life. So Abraham finally started listening to God and he started finding real faith in his life. God started crediting him with righteousness and his life started doing what he needed it to do. That's the secret. I mean, if it comes down to one secret in life, it's being able to simply follow God for the long term. When you follow God for the long term, that's when you receive the blessing here on earth and you receive eternal life when you pass from this world. That's not a popular message. Why is that not a popular message? Because a lot of people like to say, oh, you know, just as soon as you believe Jesus, everything's going to be hunky-dory. But it's not that way. 
God begins the transformation in your life, but it is a long-term transformation that must occur. Many people sit in churches uh, once a month, Easter, Christmas, and they think that somehow that's going to help them, but it doesn't. It doesn't do any good, I have to say, to be totally honest with you. Abraham listened to God long-term, and God began to build more and more faith, more and more righteousness, more and more blessing into his life. These events are the culmination of Abraham's struggle with faith. By the way, when we read the story of Isaac, it is the culmination of what God is doing. It is sort of the pinnacle of what he's going to do. It is that great work that God started to do in Abraham's life. And so you've got to make sure you go back and read a little bit more of Abraham's life if you have questions um, about the story. Real faith is both listening and responding. I mentioned that just a second ago, that for us to have real faith and real hope in our lives, it requires us to respond to God. It is not simply enough for us to listen, for us to hear, for us to listen. We also must have to respond. We must have to act it out. Abraham here, it's very interesting because you can see a change in his life from chapter 22 to earlier chapters because it says sometime later God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, do this. And Abraham did what? The next morning he got up and did it. Right? That shows a maturity of faith that Abraham did not have any time before in his life. By the way, let's contrast him for a second with Moses. What did Moses do when God said, go and go to Egypt and do this? He whined and complained like a little girl. That's what he did. What do we do when God calls us to do something? Do we whine and complain? We do. I do, you do. God says, hey, I want you to share your faith with someone at work. Oh no, I'm not going to do that. No way. No way, I'm not going to do that. I want you to read the Bible. Oh, no, mm-mm, can't. Mm-mm, do I have to do that, God? Right? But Abraham here, we see a maturity of faith that we have not seen throughout the entire book of Genesis that talks about his life. Why? Because it takes that time, that commitment, that listening to God and responding to God for real faith and real commitment to come into our lives. So real faith is both listening and responding to God. It is both knowing Him. It is both hearing Him, listening to Him, but most importantly, responding to Him. When God says to do something, ultimately, It is something that we need to do because it is good for us. Again, Jesus says, you know, would a father basically buy bad stuff for his kids to eat? Rocks, poison, you know, whatever it may be. Would he do that or would a human father do the best that he can to provide for his kids? How much more then will your heavenly father provide for you? How much more then does your heavenly father want to bless you and bless your life? But... It comes through response by faith. That is where it starts. And by the way, that is where it ends too. It's just that as time goes on, we respond more clearly, more articulately, more passionately towards God because that He has been working in our lives and we have seen that work and so we respond more so to Him. The the thing is that sometimes the end of hope is the beginning of faith. Now, I'm going to contrast earthly hope and, and biblical hope just for a second because We've talked about this a lot. We do this every Easter, our series. You guys probably can shout it out to me, some of you now. You've been here for, you know, a couple of years now. But hope, as we define it in our world, is what? A wish, a desire. I hope that I get a raise. I hope that that girl goes out with me. I hope that 
my son wins the football, you know, tournament. Uh, they don't have tournament, super, whatever. Football, little league football, Super Bowl thing. I hope that the 49ers will win a Super Bowl next year. I hope that the Raiders will win a football game ever, right? I mean, that's, that's one of those things that we hope for and uh, just doesn't seem, you know, it's just a wish. That's all it is. It's just a wish. But when the Bible uses hope, the Bible says that we should put our hope in the Lord. The Bible actually uses a different idea there, which actually means confidence. It doesn't mean pie-in-the-sky wish. It doesn't mean that hoping in the Lord is like the Raiders winning or whatever the case may be. It means that we put our confidence in God. We know that God is going to do something. We wait expectantly for Him to do that very thing. But when we talk about earthly hope here, sometimes the end of hope is actually the beginning of faith. You know, think about Abraham for a second. Here's Abraham, right? Just a Middle Eastern nomad, upper middle class, really old guy, doesn't have any kids of his own with his wife. And God says to him, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And he says, no way, because I am too old, I am shriveled, my wife is really old, unless you want me to get a younger model, it's not going to happen, we're not going to have kids. My line, my progeny is over, it is over. And as we talked about last week, Abraham, instead of doing what? Instead of going out and searching for the ancient world equivalent of Viagra or in vitro fertilization or something like that, what did he do? He prayed, he trusted God. He committed his life to God's plan even though it didn't fully make sense to him. That's what he did. And you know what? Anyone would say that his hope from an earthly perspective was over. But that... That destruction of his wishes for himself led to hope, to to real hope, real faith coming in because that faith and that hope was built upon God and what God would do in his life. Sometimes the end of hope is the beginning of faith. You know, it seemed almost hopeless that God would call Abraham to sacrifice his son. I mean, what a letdown. After finally having a kid, after all this time, to have God say, listen, I'm going to take him away from you. What a terrible letdown. I mean, unimaginable for us. Let's just be honest. God's never asked us to do anything like that. And probably, and I'm sure never will, to be quite honest with you. Um, And so we can't even imagine what it would be like to have God ask something that seems so incredulous, so impossible, so unlike God, right? Why would God ever ask? Abraham to sacrifice his son. Well, that's actually a difficult one, but also somewhat of an easy one. Because the Bible was written... If you've never read the Bible, we talked about this last week, if you've never read the Bible, you would be tempted to believe the Bible has lots of rules and regulations. Actually, very few rules and regulations. The Bible is 90% stories. That's what it is, stories. And those stories are meant to teach us how we obey God and how we have faith. The reason why that's in there, the reason why that was written 2,000 years before Jesus was so that people would see that if we trust God and have faith, that God will provide the sheep for the offering. That God is willing to do that. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But listen, when we get into this world and we talk about this human condition, when we struggle, when we have a terrible time with our kids, terrible time with our families, a terrible time with our boss, a terrible time paying our bills... The end of hope may just be the beginning of faith for many of us. Because the more that we trust in God, the more He is able to work in our lives. 
God can take care of all those things. We want to live wisely, but we want to turn those things over to God. God may call you to different things. He may call you to this. He may call you to that. When we respond to that call, we listen to Him. God brings faith into our lives. And after faith, He brings blessing and He brings meaningfulness to our lives. Okay, second idea here real quickly um, this morning is this, um, is that God provides the offering for our lives. I just closed my Bible and we'll flip back open Genesis 22 because we're going to look at this really carefully here. Um, really good, really good ideas. Genesis chapter 22 here. Um, you know what? Here's what happened. God provides the offering. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have fire in the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him, God built an al- I mean, Abraham built an altar, he tied Isaac down, and then immediately God said, no, no, that's not the sacrifice that you're going to make. Listen, when we place our faith in God, God provides the offering for us. Now let me recap real quickly from last week, because you may say, well, why, does, why do I need an offering? Well, we talked about last week the fact that we have brokenness in our lives that we are not able to overcome. I know a lot of people are convinced that, you know what, they're going to just do whatever they want to do in life, and that when they stand before God, they're just going to tell God, hey, this is who I am, you better like it or not, I don't care, because this is me, and this, you're going to just have to deal with it. But the problem is that God ain't going to respond very well to that. Why? Because He's the creator of the universe, the master of the universe. And um, He has a certain plan that He expects for us to follow. And when we rebel against Him, we reject Him, when we tell Him off and tell Him what for, uh, just like any of us, He's not going to respond very well. Hey, what would it be like if some... If you, let me just ask you, some of you older guys here. Older, and by older, I'm just going to clarify that as being 35 and above, because you're 35, the story will work. What would happen if some 18-year-old dude comes up to you, let's say you're a mechanic, just for argument's sake, mechanic. Whatever field you're in, you can just replace it. Some 18-year-old kid comes up to you and says, hey, you're fixing that car wrong, man. You don't know what you're doing. Get out of my way. I'll do that. What would be your response? Would you like that very much? Come on, guys. You'd be like, you young, you know what. <laughs> That's what you'd be like. <laughs> it's the same thing with God, right? Because people, when, when people raise their fists to God and say, God, I'm going to do what I want to do, God's like, you know, I love you, but you're being foolish. Being foolish. And so when, when, when we have faith in God, the only way that we can be right with God, the only way that we can have relationship with God is what? is for God to do it all Himself, for Him to credit us with His righteousness. What that means is, in other words, the, all the sin and brokenness and issues and struggles that we have in our lives, that, that's a problem, and it makes God unhappy. We rebel against God. But the rebellion can be put down if God gives us the credit and says, I'm going to send you the credit, and you'll be okay before me. You'll be fine. You'll be okay. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you everything that you need in this life. I'm going to make you okay with me. In order for that credit to accrue, somebody has to pay for it, right? If I give you a credit card and let you run out and spend it and, make, and go buy it on whatever you want, somebody has to pay the bill for that credit. We know from Easter that the person who paid that bill is Jesus. 
that He was the one, His sacrifice, His death for us, is what provided the offering, provided the righteousness, paid the bill on the credit line extended to us by God, even while we were in rebellion against Him. See, Abraham trusted God to pick the best sacrifice. This is really important because... It seems crazy, again, that God would even, you know, hint at child sacrifice. I mean, how much more barbaric and evil can you get? But the point of the story and what actually happened was not God trying to be barbaric, but was instead God trying to teach us how barbaric it was when people executed Jesus at Easter. You know, how barbaric it was that people took an innocent man like Jesus and executed him for no reason other than trying to follow God's will for his life. That's barbaric. And God needed to provide an example for us so we could see how clearly, how, how, well, how clearly that his sacrifice for us, how meaningful it was to him. How important it was to him. How that after all the years and after all the issues, after all the struggles that we have, that Christ basically was executed to extend credit to you and I so that we may be made right with God. Now, Abraham trusted God to pick the best sacrifice. I mean, God could have, I suppose. I don't think so but could have allowed Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, but that wouldn't have mattered because that's not the sacrifice that God desires. What is the sacrifice that God desires? Does God want your money? Does God want your, uh, your platitudes? Does God want your uh, excuses? Does God want any of that stuff? The answer would be no to all those things. What God wants is your heart. And from that, from your heart, God will then ask you to do things such as serve such as give, such as be a person of Christ-like demeanor to other people around you. But it is your heart that God wants. It is your heart that God is asking for. That is the sacrifice. By the way, the Bible is clear, even in the Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter, that it is not the sacrifice that we make, it is the sacrifice of our lives that really matter. The sacrifices that they made in the Old Testament with the temple, with Isaac, with, with the lambs, with the sheep, with the goats, those sort of things... Those were examples for us to point to who Jesus would be. To say that, listen, there's going to come into the world someone, a son of mine, my only son, who is willing to sacrifice for you and I that we might have life abundantly and that we might have eternal life. So we must trust God to pick the right sacrifice for us, right? We may try to bring other things to God. I mean, again, there will be people who will try to bring a variety of different things. They'll try to say, well, God, I tried to go to church. I tried to follow you. The guy on TV told me if I give money, that I'll be better with you. I tried to do this. I, I meant to do this. I intended to do this. You know, there's an expression in English, which is the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Have you guys ever heard that? And that's true. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Because there's so many people who intend to do what God wants them to do. They intend to do what is right. They intend to follow Jesus. But in the end of the day, they do what? They don't do it. They don't do it. 
And then unfortunately when they get old and they're sick and they're lying on the hospital bed, they regret what they were not able to do. You know, I I can say this. This is not 100%, but I'm going to be honest with you here. It's not 100%, but it's like 70-30. Like most of the time it happens. Most of the time when I'm there on the deathbed of someone who as a believer in Jesus, they are more excited than regretful. Because they know that they have done what God has called them to do and that when they pass from this world, that God has a house, a place for them. But you know what? More times than not, when I'm with a non-believer, it's usually more regret. I wish I could have done this. I wish I could have done that. Have you guys seen that movie, The Bucket List? You know, it's uh, basically, it's got a, what's that dude in it? Jack Nicholson uh, and uh, Morgan Freeman, right? And um, it's basically a story about these old guys who have cancer and they think they're going to die, or they are going to die, so they just try to do everything that they've always wanted to do. And you know, it's, it's a good movie, and you know, I don't blame people for having bucket lists, but you know, there's a sort of a lie about the bucket list movie, isn't it? What's the lie about the movie of the bucket list? Because like most Hollywood movies, there's the presupposition that there is no God, and there's nothing beyond this life. And so therefore we do what? We have to do everything that we can while we're alive just to enjoy ourselves and to have a more meaningful life here on earth. But I have to tell you, I have to tell you that, you know, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro is nothing in comparison to being obedient to God's will in your life. And, and by the way, here's the funny thing. The funny thing is, um, is that... Um, when you obey God, you end up doing a lot of that stuff too. I mean, I've walked partway up Kilimanjaro myself. Never thought I would do that. I just, I was meant Everest and I used Kilimanjaro. But, you know, because when God leads, you end up in a crazy places. And, you know, I mean, people here will testify. You know, you end up in Nicaragua building wells, you know. You end up uh, in, on Kilimanjaro, you know, b- planting churches. You end up all over the place when you listen to what God has to do. Why? Because God is the master of the universe. He's the creator of the universe. What he wants for your life is more important. What did he do with Abraham, by the way? He moved Abraham out of his home, out of his family environment, moved him to a strange land so that he could live among strange people only because God said, this will become your land and this will become your kingdom. And your children, your grandchildren will be a great nation here. And so if we trust God to pick the right sacrifice for our lives, then God will make the right sacrifice. He will not only credit us with righteousness, but He will, in fact, turn our lives around. We will be able to have Jesus as our Savior. We'll be able to have Him as our Redeemer. We'll be able to have the life that God desires. We'll be able to have eternal life. We'll be able to trust in Him above all else. You know what? This morning, finally, is that God has already selected a lamb for us. If you didn't know, that would end here. Well, it should be obvious because God has already selected a sacrifice for us. That what we need more than anything else is the power of God working in our lives. The power of God, as we talked about three weeks ago, comes from what? comes from the cross. That is the very power of God. The power of God is not listening 
The some guy monologue, the power of God is not being a good person. The power of God is not random acts of kindness. The power of God is not Oprah. The power of God is not Dr. Phil, Dr. Laura, Dr. Oz, Dr. whoever. The power of God is the cross of Jesus Christ. That there is someone, God's only son, who sacrificed himself on our behalf. And that his execution at our hands allows us to be free. By the way, God is the one who selected and chose a sacrifice for you and I. He did it personally. He did it specifically. He did it for a point. He did it for a reason. You don't need anything beyond Jesus. You don't need anything more than Jesus. You don't need anything to add to Jesus. And that's the problem a lot of people get into, right? We talked about that last week. We want to buffet Jesus, right? We want a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Dr. Phil, a little bit of Buddha, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, right? Mix it all together and then in the end make ourselves feel good But that's not the sacrifice that God requires for us. It's just one simple thing. To allow God to extend the credit to you that you have a life that God desires, that you believe in Him, trust in Him, and allow Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice for your life. But that becomes the question then. That becomes the issue. Are you willing for Jesus to be the sacrifice for your life? Are you willing to do that? Or do you want to have another sacrifice? Do you want to substitute something in in Jesus' place? Because it's not going to work. You can bring your job, your money, your career, your success, your fame, your fortune. You can bring it before God. But it is not the sacrifice that God desires. Let me say it again because you're going to encounter many, many people who will argue with you and will say this. It is not your good deeds or your works or your upper middle classness or your, you know, I have a decent family or I'm a good spouse or I'm a good worker at work. None of those sacrifices, according to the Bible, will work. Why? Because the sacrifice that we need, God must provide. It is the only way. You have no power and I have no power to make a sacrifice to God ourselves. It must be a sacrifice that that God provides. Listen, the Bible says this right before Jesus came into the world. John the Baptist said, the Bible of course, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? And he was the sacrifice that God gave for us that if we simply trust in him, believe that he died on the cross and rose again on the third day, to set us right with God, that's the only thing that God wants from us is simply to trust in that sacrifice to allow God to provide the sacrifice for us. My prayer is that you will do that Not just today, but you will do it every day of your life. Allow God to be first and foremost. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning. Lord, and maybe there's someone here who doesn't know you, who's been, their sacrifice that they intend to offer to you is their works, their job, their their middle classness, their lives, their expectations. God, we know that you won't accept that. The Bible is very clear about that. Father, maybe there's someone here who's never started a relationship with you and wants to do it this morning. All you need to do if you're in that boat is just say, God, I love you. I know that I'm broken. I know that I'm selfish. I know that I'm sinful. I know that I make mistakes. But God, I know that you have a sacrifice for me, that you have actually made a sacrifice on my behalf so that I may be clean, that I may be forgiven, and that I may have abundant life here on earth and eternal life in heaven. I commit my life to Jesus. In faith, I trust in him as my sacrifice. Father, for the rest of us here today, I pray that we would basically say the same prayer, that throughout our lives that we would be committed to you, to him, that we would be committed to what God has, what you have in store for us and what Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf has done to make our lives obedient, to make our lives faithful 
to you, O God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our hope today um, is, um, is that we can have hope in God's provision, and we certainly can. God will provide. He provided perfect sacrifice for us, and He also provided um, for our lives as well. In our day-to-day, again, the Bible is clear that God will provide, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of recession or depression, God will certainly provide.